Welcome to Pilots and Petards Podcast. This is your co-hoister, Jimbo, and joining us, as always, is our co-hoister, Drew. If you're expecting individuals authorized or interested in flying aircrafts, you might be a little disappointed. For the record, petard is a real word, and it is non-discriminatory. Petards are explosive devices usually used to take out a door or a wall. To be hoisted on a petard is to be hurt or destroyed by one's own plot device intended for another. So kind of to be blown up by one's own bomb. Here at Pilots and Petards Podcast, we watch television pilots or the first episode of a series and make some critical judgments. We're going to decide whether these pilots are awesome and deserve a watch or rewatch of the preceding series, or we're going to hoist these pilots on their own petards. Uh, to hoist or not to hoist, Jimbo, that is the question. This is the podcast with nothing much ado about aircrafts and potentially everything to do with first episodes of a filmic series. Join us today as we examine and cast judgment on the absolutely iconic 1992 X-Men the Animated Series. To hoist or not to hoist, that is the question. We do have an announcement, a couple little asks of our, our listeners. First one, we have a call to Twitter, at Pilots on Petards. In addition, we do have some reviews at the end of the show today. So after we sign off and the music starts, we'll read the reviews. But Jimbo, I do want to point out that you speak so proudly of your Oregonian faithful listeners. <laughs> but I have learned over social media this past week that two out of three of our reviews come from my North Carolina-related listeners. So, Jimbo, uh, where where are them Oregon reviews at? Yeah, come on, Oregon. we got to represent. If you're listening and you're from Oregon, do the right thing. Leave us a review on iTunes. Brian and Will. Call them out by name. They know what they did. Jimbo, if you're ready, we can jump into our background of this show. I'm just going to admit, when I was watching this show, I had a super nostalgia boner the whole time. This show reminds me of my childhood. It was really awesome to watch it again. And this is not the first time I've watched it as an adult. I've watched it as, as an adult multiple times. Yeah, for me, this show is everything. It was such a really, really important show of my youth. I, If it came on in 1992, I was eight years old. And like I just got so hardcore into comics through this show. These X-Men are my first X-Men, and they're my forever X-Men. This show is amazing. And Jimbo, one thing that you and I talked about off mic was I had this show on VHS because Pizza Hut did this thing where if you bought a large pizza, you got two VHSs with two episodes on them. And this was one of those two-episode VHSs. So just pizza and VHS tapes and X-Men are all intermingled in my nostalgia. Do you remember those tapes? I definitely do now. In addition, back in 1992, there wasn't internet. I mean, there was internet, but nobody had the internet, and there certainly wasn't streaming of anything. So if you missed an episode on Saturday morning at, I think, about 9.30 or 10, you had to wait months before they rebroadcasted that show. So missing an X-Men cartoon was a huge deal. And even as I got older and I was, and it was, and I was maybe too old for it to be cool to watch X-Men, I used to you know, try my best to wake up early enough on Saturday morning to watch the new X-Men episodes because if I missed them, I, like I said, I, it, it would be months before they replayed that show again. And so I definitely remember that. And I guess I was in prob- I was probably in middle school before the show ended. And I would still, you know, try and go to bed a little bit early so I could get up and watch X-Men the animated series. The summary of the episode, although I feel like a lot of people listening most likely have watched this show, but I will take you through it just because it was fun to watch. This was a really, really, really fun pilot to watch. I'm hoping we have a really fun time talking about it. I anticipate that. But so here's the summary. Uh, We meet our protagonist, Jubilee, 
She's going to be our audience stand-in, our point-of-view character. Her parents, her step-parents are like, I can't believe our daughter's a mutant. And then mom's like, I can't believe you reported her to the mutant control agency. We see a sentinel, a giant robot target Jubilee, have lots of data about her. She runs, the robot chases her to a mall. Jubilee meets some X-Men at the mall. They save her, take her back to the X-Mansion. Jubilee learns what mutants are. And they're people, they're just regular people with these abilities. And sometimes they can't control them, so Professor X helps. Jubilee listens, but as soon as she's able to, she escapes. She gets captured by one of the giant robots. And then the X-Men decide, we're going to go save Jubilee. They're all kind of mad at each other for some reason. But we, that's the first episode. That's 20, that's like 20 minutes. It's a lot of pilot in this 20 minutes. Jimbo, did I miss anything? Before we jump into high points, did you notice or get the feeling that there was kind of a lot of similarities between this pilot episode and, and Jubilee's character with John Connor and Terminator 2 The Judgment Day? I would say maybe a little bit. I'm not sure. Maybe they just kind of like work off the same tropes or archetypes. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. I thought you were asking if. No, no, no. Both of them were 1992. But you have like the robots. Yes, yeah, unstoppable yeah. robots chasing children in a mall. I agree. Yeah. I agree. There, there could have been, it could have ended with Wolverine driving a semi trailer through the aqueducts of Los Angeles. Uh, why didn't it? Definitely. Just had to toss that in. Let's uh, jump into high points. You are always talking about showing versus telling. And last week, you really ripped Supernatural about doing too much telling and not enough showing. So while I was watching this episode, I couldn't help but notice that the characters, they were telling a lot through the questions of Jubilee as the main character. So what was your take on the showing and telling for this first episode? Shimbo, I'm really glad you brought it up. That was the thing. This episode, I think going into this, I had a lot of nostalgia about X-Men, and I was like, I'm going to enjoy this episode. Let's see what happens here. I did not anticipate that it would do a lot of things really well that you want a pilot to do. I'd watched this show before with a lens of, I love the X-Men. Now I'm watching it through the lens of, this is the first episode of a filmic series. Dude, you're right. There was so much showing and so there was some telling. But the thing is, it, since it was animated and since the mutants had such cool, bright powers and stuff, it was able to show and tell at the same time without being, in my opinion, as obnoxious as Supernatural was. Storm takes Jubilee on the roof, and as she's telling her what mutants are, she's like gathering storm clouds and has like raging winds. You're laying down the foundation of a series, but it's a super cool visual with great voice acting and great sound effects. Like, you know, even when like Rogue and Beast are like walking to the to the secret mission, they're kind of telling their origin stories. But Rogue is flying, so your your eyes are drawn to her visually. And Beast is blue and he's jumping around on stuff. Even when they're like exposition dumping, it's not as blatant and it's a little more visually engaging. And then you might not even call that exposition dumping. You might kind of call it expedient character building. But maybe that's another word for it. But I just thought that so much stuff was showing and not telling. What did you notice and where did you see the showing and not telling, Jimbo? So there was a lot of questions being asked. And of course, so it kind of had this dialogue of like question, answer, question, answer. But I think it was an extremely healthy blend of showing and telling. As we maybe talk about later, this was a lot of people's introduction to X-Men, especially, you know, I mean, I mean, you talked about it in your background. It was my introduction to X-Men as well. And so I think it just did an excellent job of 
giving the viewers a background and a lot of information about who the X-Men are and what's going on while at the same time telling a story. It did it very well. That was that was something I did not remember explicitly. Didn't remember this much backstory packed into a pretty lively episode that moves along at a quick pace. This episode does a lot of things. Definitely. And we're kind of treading close to my MVP. So so let's just move on to uh, the next high point, if you don't mind. Moving along, moving along. My next high point was just really fantastic character design. You know, this was my X-Men introduction. It's definitely based on Jim Lee, X-Men number one, 1992 X-Men. The show brought me into comics. And these were the X-Men of the comics kind of right around that time. So my X-Men are these X-Men. These costumes are iconic for me. Just loved it. And also a common thing that can happen in some cartoons is characters don't have their own look. They might be similar in body type or they might be similar in costume to other characters. And that was not an issue with these guys. Like all of their costumes were distinct and their voice acting was great. So I didn't get anybody confused. I agree. The way it captured the comic book art was excellent. Those are the X-Men that I remember. Those are the X-Men that think about that was the rogue that makes me so disappointed with all the rogues in the movies because that's rogue right there. And same with Gambit. Like those are the those are the X-Men characters. We can dangle the threads of live action X-Men. Possibly. Wait, real quick hoist. Like I need a snap hoist, Jimbo. Shanning Tatum Gambit. Hoist or not hoist, go. Was he Gambit? It's in development. He owns the rights. Go. I have no idea, man. Hoist. Fair. I like that your automatic response is hoist. You're like, if I don't know, it's going to get hoisted. I like it. You're a man of action. How about your next high point? This kind of builds off of our last high point, the uh, diversity of characters. And, and you had mentioned it with their uniforms, but I think you also have, have to bring it up as their personalities. They are a bunch of distinct personalities. And Beast is super smart. Storm is African. Like, she's clearly African. She calls, you know, she says, child. You know, I mean, she's just African. And and Rogue is like the girl next door, and Gambit is kind of the creeper dude, and Wolverine is the nonconformist, uh, Cyclops is the yes man. It's just really diverse characters and a good blend. Jean Grey's in there, and you know, Professor X is differently able to, yep. so there's a representation there as well. I'm going to give it as a high point, and I'm going to address it in the low points too, in terms of diversity of characters. Overall, it's definitely a high point, and I think. This speaks to the diversity of My Name is Earl, and to a degree, Glee. Like, when you don't have to shout, look at how many different types of characters we have. When you just present it as, like, this is the norm, it works. I do think that art can be part of a positive conversation about social norms that we can question and even change. I can get with you on that, that the show does a great job with having diversity of characters. It looks like there's a nice gender balance, I guess. I'm trying to count the characters in my head. Pretty good. And Jubilee, who's an Asian American character, does get the most screen time out of anyone, and it's from her point of view. Definitely. I had another high point that talks about the exposition and the storytelling, so I'm going to kind of ignore that one as well because that also treads a little bit close to my MVP, and, and we can come back to that. That's my high points for now. Do you have any other ones? I do. I want to talk about the mutant metaphor. This is something that people talk about with X-Men a ton. If this is your MVP, you can cut me off. Okay, it's not. Okay, people talk about the mutant metaphor as like a persecuted group who have to band together, and they're largely misunderstood. The world's a bit out to get them because they don't understand them. So some people are saying that the X-Men are stand-ins for black people or oh, Jewish sure. people or, 
you know, gay people is a good one for this episode because the conversation and the inner monologue that Jubilee has in her house could so very easily just be a teen who's gay. You know, she's sitting there. The parents are downstairs. Yeah, it's it is. Well, I'm going to talk about that. My low points. too. Um, But you're right. It is universal. And I think it speaks to a lot of different people because like I'm not going to talk about diversity in terms of like viewership of comics or fanship of comics but i do know from some anecdotal experience and from being on twitter and you know listening to some comic book podcasts that a lot of people in those groups identify early with x-men because the mutant metaphor is not subtle but it's great you know like it's a really clear message to kids that the people who you might assume to fear or the people who you might instinctually not trust well they're people too you know and so that's been a really strong theme in X-Men, and I really liked that it was just front and center in the first pilot episode. So the reverse side of the mutant metaphor is that, yes, it's cool that this is a metaphor for people who are, like, quote-unquote other or marginalized or just not institutionally powerful. But they do point out that in the past and in several incarnations of the X-Men, the people who are being represented by the metaphor, like black people or Hispanic people, or gay people, or lesbians, or transgender, are not on the team. You're right, like, Jubilee is Asian-American, and Storm is from Egypt. Diversity in terms of gender and ethnicity. But I think the show does a good job incorporating it. That has been a critique of comic over the years. There's the kind of problematic Professor X is Martin Luther King, and Magneto is Malcolm X, because it's not a lazy storytelling of history, but people kind of, like, assign them those roles without looking at the nuance of either person. And there's been this kind of push in popular culture to condemn protesting because they're like, well, what would Martin Luther King say? And, you know, Martin Luther King said that a riot is the voice of the unheard. He was civilly disobedient. And also Malcolm X, you know, he was militant, but also he's not as one-dimensional or as not complex as, like, people would paint him in that analogy. What's your point in one sentence? That the mutant metaphor is overly simplistic and that the people who it represents aren't shown on the team always. Okay. Because when you were saying the Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, X-Men came out in 1964. I guess they were both maybe on the primetime stage, but I doubt they were... They were both prominent at that point. Yeah, but, but the characters weren't based off of them. No, they weren't. Over the years, they've kind of been... They haven't been lumped together, but over the years, like... People have talked about the era in which comic books were created. Like, they talk about... Yeah, the civil rights movement. Well, they talk about Siegel and Schuster being Jewish comic creators when they created Superman as a product of the 1940s. People also talk about the X-Men being, you know, Stan Lee has talked about the mutant metaphor explicitly, like, not implicitly. But he's like, yes, like, the X-Men were a product of the time of the civil rights struggle. With that being his voice and, like, his recollection then you can say that it would be nicer if there had been more black characters than Storm. But, you know, Bishop comes along eventually, but I'm sure if you kind of tease it out, like part of the draw of the new international X-Men was that they were from different countries, but they did end up being kind of like a similar ethnicity and mostly dudes. Yeah, I uh, completely agree. And I I was going to maybe mention this with, with the dangling threads as well. You know, the mutant metaphor is coming from an also just an extremely male and Anglo-Saxon centric artist. I don't know if it's ironic or maybe they're just more liberal or or whatnot, but it is interesting that you have these 
these non-diverse people pushing these, you know, diversity issues, which is cool, I guess. I mean, it's better than, than them not pushing them. It's better than nothing. But yeah, if we're going to come back to it, we'll come back to it. I think we're going to talk about that later. So that takes us to low points. So Jimbo, what's a, what's a low point or a potential low point? I did not have any standout low points. My I have a potential, a lot of comic book phrase slash dialogue during the fight and our action scenes, which I think kids would find cool. But as an adult, the way that Gambit's kind of talking to, to the Sentinel, like take that or, you know, whatever he says as he's throwing these playing cards, you know, that, that I think could be a legit low point for an adult audience, especially if they're watching it for the first time. Fair man, Gambit. Gambit is just like the coolest bro ever. If you're nine years old and you're watching X Men: The Animated sure. Series, Gambit's a bit more of a creeper and a weirdo. The older you get, but you know you still got love for Gambit. There's a lot of Gambit love in my heart, especially in this pilot, where like, you know, Wolverine and Gambit are really set up as the coolest dudes. Definitely, Cyclops is kind of set up as like this lame, lame teacher's pet. He's always been though. That's always been Cyclops. You know what, man? The older you get, the more you're like, Cyclops makes good points. People need to kind of chill out and read the memos. Like, read your emails, people. That's why we send them. The answer is probably in the email I sent. You get to that age, and you're like, then you become a Cyclops. When you realize that you become Cyclops, you have officially reached rock bottom, and you're like Will from Glee. <laughs> uh, you, uh, you know what? No comment, because I'm fine with being my Cyclops <laughs> right now, and I don't think I hit rock bottom, I think. Okay, that's true, man. You, you you still have a far way to fall. Well, there's a funny line from a movie that's completely forgettable. It's called SLC Punk, and the kid in the movie says to his dad that, you know, he just kind of calls out his dad for being a hippie but then going to law school and buying a mansion, and he calls out his dad, and as the kid is leaving, the dad says to him, son, I didn't sell out. I bought in. And so maybe I bought in on Cyclops. Definitely. Nice, man. That leads to my um, potential low point. It's just kind of a funny low point because I really like this pilot, but everyone seems to be upset with each other for some reason. For whatever reason, Cyclops and Wolverine arbitrarily hate each other. And like, I love Wolverine's lines in the show. He's like, I could talk. it's a little bit like Batman, Christian Bale. It's like, I go where I want to go. You just start off pissed off and end up growling. Wolverine and Cyclops are clashing, which is great. Wolverine like bumps Gambit, and this prompts Gambit to take out a playing card and charge it, and it's a miniature grenade. And Cyclops is like, whoa, don't do that. He's just pissed off. And so, like, you know, they're a strike force. You know, they're they're a SWAT-style strike team, and they appear to not get along very well. So I would I would have concerns if I was the team leader. Maybe that's why Cyclops is such a dick he's like this is not gonna go well and what if someone gets hurt you know spoiler warning episode two it's not so much he's a dick he's a nerd dude he's just a, such a teacher's pet he's gonna do the right thing on the mission and you know what uh we should have watched the second part of the episode i would so be proven right but you know we got to stay within the realm of the pilot and i guess i'm the uncool hoister and you're the cool you're the cool dad jimbo i guess so you get all of our subscribers pizza no. when I want them to eat their salad. No, I do not get them pizza. But the X-Men being a strike team, I guess, is a that could be a potential low point for the series. And actually, I, I, have, I have to push back on your low point. 
everyone is not hostile. It's just Wolverine. He does not get along with people. And I think that's all great character development for Wolverine. He is the one that's causing all the conflict. Beast doesn't have any problems with anyone. Rogue doesn't have any problems with, you know, with anyone. Storm doesn't have any problems with anyone. It's Wolverine, dude. He's, he's that member of the team. Uh, You're right. Now that I think about it, Wolverine is just kind of pissy. That's Wolverine. He's being himself, man. You're right. You're right. Well, you're right. At the time, though, I was like, man, I remember being like Team Cyclops. I was like, Cyclops is just like doing his job. Maybe that's <laughs> why. Maybe that's when I knew I was destined to like be a teacher. Because like I'm always like mad at the kids for being mad at me. I'm like, dude, like I'm the one doing my job here. Like, why are you upset? Why aren't I more upset? Like, spit out your gum. It's annoying. It is annoying. Kids will be kids, man. <laughs> You're right. Well, yeah, and Wolverines will be Wolverines, I suppose. Definitely. So I'm I'm just going to close up the low points and say this show didn't have any low points. We we had to to reach, and our low points weren't even that low. I want to sell you something, Jimbo. I want you to listen and be open to this. I have a Crabman Award. I got to cut you off, though, first. Go ahead. The main X-Men characters appear to be supporting characters during this pilot. Are they fair game for a Crabman Award or nomination? I would say no, because they are named in the title sequence. They all get little okay. intro things. So I would say that makes the main characters... Let's not pretend we haven't both watched the entire series. They get they get their own little episodes eventually. It's an ensemble. So I would say no, but, you know, we, we both have veto power. Okay, go ahead, man. Sorry to cut you off. I, I just wanted to clarify before I made my nomination. That's all right. Well, listen to my nomination and just keep an open mind because I love this show and I've watched it so many times and now just watching it through a different lens, I noticed something. So I think my Crabane Award is not the Sentinels themselves, but the effort of the Sentinels. Because like, if you watch the first episode, these Sentinels do some weird things. And I guess the only reason that you would notice it is just because of the weirdness. So like, the Sentinels are kind of sneaky. For some reason, they're giant 30-foot robots, but one of them tries to hide behind a building and put its foot behind a tree. In addition, they also, like, walk through a crowded parking lot and break into a mall. I don't know what the plan for the Sentinel operators is. It's pre-Twitter, it's pre-YouTube, but how are, how are you getting away with this? Like, this one woman is like, are you going to arrest that thing? And he's like, for what? It's being a robot. I just thought... What the Sentinels did was hilarious sometimes. The thing that stood out was like it's a giant robot with all this data about Jubilee and it like shoved its hand through a house and grabbed like Jubilee's sleeping bag that she'd shoved into a Jubilee shape and done pillows under. So like it's kind of a crappy robot with crappy sensors and they end up being kind of goofy robots anyway. And so this time watching it, I thought that the Sentinels and their effort at being sneaky, even though they're 30 foot robots could be a crab man and i noticed the sentinels have like really well-defined muscular thighs for some reason and and biceps and i'm like what kind of engineer is making those design choices like that's why why what do you think are you nominating the signals because i i don't think we're going to nominate the personification of qualities of characters this is just abandoning the true crabness of the award so does a crab man have to be a character? I think it should be a character, man. Don't you think? Then I don't have a nominee. Cause this, so then I don't have a nominee. But wasn't that weird the Sentinels did that stuff? It was. It's very, it's very strange, man. Definitely. 
Now, I do have a, a, a nominee. I think Sabretooth, in that opening scene, he's the one that's causing all the havoc. It's a bit of an Easter egg, and that's the badass sa- Sabretooth. It's not the old school, like, kind of lame Sabretooth. That's the new, big, buff, steroid-up Sabretooth. And I think that shows the audience right off the bat. If you're familiar with X-Men, you're going to get some Sabretooth soon. And that's and that's my Crabman nominee. I support it. I will give that Crabman award to Sabretooth if he wants to contact us via Twitter or that voice actor. It personifies the Crabman Award, which is less is more. So good call. Good call, Jimbo. All right. So Crabman Award going to Sabretooth. For the first time on the Pilots and Guitars podcast, we have a word from our sponsor, the company Fauders. Are you a young professional who likes food delivered to your house, but you also want to entertain and have people over? Well, the good people at Fauders are here to help you. Go to the Fauders online catalog, pick the delectable starter for your social gathering, and it arrives in pre-portioned containers right in time. Check out our deliciously deviled eggs. Get eight pre-halved hard-boiled egg whites and a baggie of deviled yolk. You put them together, and bam, you got yourself an hors d'oeuvre ready for your friends coming over. Also, get on the website and be on the lookout for broccolini sriracha snaps, creamy and crisp curry kale, tender teriyaki satays, grated banana chip granola, and finally, those honey-dusted arugula wedges. Yes, Jimbo, the arugula wedges right to your house. All you got to do is take them out and apply the honey dust, and your friends are going to be like, whoa. Jimbo, you are really good at entertaining and putting out finger food. So yeah, all of those products are available at fauxderves.com and in the upper right-hand corner when you get to their main page, just enter the promo code PETARDS. That's PETARDS, P-E-T-A-R-D-S and you get your first round of delivered fauxderves for free and they will know that we sent you. If any of y'all want us to sell your product, we can do it. All we ask is just very reasonable compensation. So reach out to us. We are willing to sell. We are for sale. Yeah, we're not going to lie. We are for sale. We want those fat podcast dollars. All right, so it's MVP time, Drew. I'll just jump into mine. Um, mine is, is the storytelling. I think the storytelling in the this pilot episode, we kind of mentioned about the exposition and the development of the characters. This show, the whole first episode, was an exposition and a story at the same time. It was it was a beautiful combination of great storytelling which you often do not get in comic books in this tv show it took you know these these already established characters it blended them together and it started telling a really great story and the first episode ends and everyone is really excited to see the next episode next week so i i think it's the storytelling a dangling thread of mine is going to deal with the storytelling but i will i'll pile on to what you said which is it did a lot, you know, it did very many things and it, it did two things. You know, if you'd never heard of the X-Men before, this was a very, very good pilot, not just for the show, but for the product, you know, did a lot uh, for cross promotion, uh, like way before the Avengers. Yeah. Great exhibition. You're super correct. And then the show was just solid, you know, and you're right. It, it did so many things at the same time. Great showing while telling, moving the story forward while introducing a large ensemble cast and giving you just a little taste of everybody, both audio, visual, the dialogue, as well as the action. Great MVP, Jimbo. All right, Drew, can you, can you please share yours with me? 
So Drew will not share his MVP with me. It has to be a surprise. So I have no idea what Drew's MVP is going to be. So Jimbo and I have differing philosophies on the podcast format. I think it's cool when we don't know what the other person is going to say completely. And I like to respond. Jimbo wants to have time to organize his thoughts, which I respect. Because actually now I like to do that too. But I want to keep my, my secrets in some places. And so my MVP is... Excuse me. Um, I'm going to try not to cough into the mic. Let me clear my throat. And it's very super obvious what my MVP is. Going to make sure I don't hurt the mic here, but. The signals. So the theme song is amazing. It is a lot of people say that like your sense of smells what brings back memories, but the sound of this song brings back the like visceral excitement of just it's Saturday morning and you are right where you want to be and your family respects the fact that they're not going to try to do the TV, that Saturday morning cartoons are important and that this is the show. So I love the theme song. I love the animation that goes with the theme song. It is aged extremely well. There's just a lot of great action and not necessarily, it's not ironic at all. Like One Punch Man was completely ironic. This is so earnest you know, it's so forthright. It's such a great intro. Tell me what your thoughts on the theme song are. It is a great intro. I think it's it's catchy enough to not get annoying. And it does it does kind of get you pumped up, especially as a kid. Yeah, it, that theme song is part of the nostalgia for me big time. I think it's, I guess it's worthy of, of, of an MVP. And Drew, you clearly have a thing for theme songs. I guess I do. And let me say one more thing. So... I'm in a men's group, which sounds weird because it either sounds misogynistic <laughs> or like we're religious. We are neither of those things. It's called Humanities, and the guys who started it like capitalized the M-A-N in the middle of Humanities. Of course. It's not misogynistic at all. Well, okay. it's just it's a, The way it got started was these husbands of two women in a book club got together at the same time the book club was happening. And so presumably it's just a book club of the husbands of that book club but it's really just us hanging out drinking some beers talking about some weird things and so the first one i ever went to there are themes for humanities nights and this one was make a piece of art about your childhood and people did different things like someone made a lamp and talked about how the wood grain was their childhood and this other person brought a a mcdonald's uh what is it called happy meal bag full of childhood things it, it was cool i think I tried too hard and freaked them out because I wrote a song which, which I've lost the lyrics to but I set it to the tune of this of this theme song that's how that's how much it impacted me like I wrote a song for this thing and it was like gonna go watch X-Men because it's Saturday morning I get to hang out and watch cartoons Bana. gonna go see Wolverine he's kind of mad at Cyclops they never see I. 
I have waited all week. This is one of the last shows. I kind of get sad towards the end. It's okay. The tick is next. Kind of a, a good show, but it's not serious like X-Men. So that wasn't, I kind of just made that up just now, but it was very similar to that. And That's I worked good. on it. Thank you. Um, and so that was kind of my tryout to humanities. And I think I tried hard enough that I got invited to the next one. So I, I don't regret writing a song. Yeah, you sure did, man. Yeah, oh, dude, I I have to pee. If you wanna if you wanna plug another ad, go, uh, go ahead. I'll be right back. All right, hey there, hey there, listeners. It's just me. It's just Drew here. Apparently, I'm the the hoister who talks the most, as some of you have noted on your reviews or in your text messages to me. Well, to that I say. All right, point taken. You know, I'm not I'm not upset. Let's see things to plug. Go see Star Wars. It was real good. The further I get away from it, the more I'm like, ah, this is a great movie. I'm going to go see it again in early January. I think what I really like about Star Wars is like threefold. Like, it's just a real fun action movie all the way through. Real, real satisfying in places. They try some new things, which is what I like. I believe that The Last Jedi accomplished what Rogue One set out to do, which was open up the storytelling world for like more Star Wars stories. But Rogue One didn't do that. It was kind of a downer, which was fine. You know, some stories are, but I don't feel like Rogue One really opened up the door for a Han Solo solo movie. <laughs> the Last Jedi really did. Told a different type of story with new characters who we cared about. Uh, sent off a few older characters in very satisfying fashion and just kind of kept the audience guessing in a lot of cool different ways. Definitely establishing some new bonds. So Star Wars, the last Jedi getting one of the strongest possible, not hoists from, you know, your favorite long winded co-hoister drew Jimbo. You back. I hear you. Wow. I'm glad I missed that. It's fine. You know, you you asked me to fill some space. Let us continue. Absolutely. So definitely, man, you sounds like you filled it. Yeah. So with that, Jimbo, why don't you start off the dangling threads? Because they just listened to me wax poetically about uh, a movie I enjoyed for about, uh, what would that be, like 90 seconds? Probably less, but okay. So one of my dangling threads is this TV show, from my recollection of being a young boy, this show I played a huge part in bringing Marvel mainstream. This was the thing that got me into comic books, and I collected comic books, not because I read them, because I just liked the art. But it, it made comic books cool. Maybe not like cool to do at school, but I think it brought a lot of young people into comic books that maybe wouldn't have got it otherwise. And I think this is what paved the road for the future X-Men movies, future Avenger movies, maybe even contributing to the to the overproduction of comic books in general in the 90s. So what's your thoughts on that? How how would you say this this show contributes to the mainstream of marvel because today marvel's super mainstream like everybody knows marvel back in 1992 that was not the case i got into comics for two reasons first reason was that my dad was into comics when he was a kid so he was more than willing to indulge that expensive hobby for me thank you dad i appreciate it and the second reason was because of this show my dad being willing to take me to the comic book store or we bought a bunch of comics at like used bookstores. That was always a good place to get a ton of old comics for cheap. Was one part. This show really brought it in, and then it it did kind of coincide with like a really a resurgence or a renaissance in comics. Nineteen ninety two X Men, which is the visual this is based on, 
um, is the highest selling single issue in comic book history. It sold 8 million copies in 1992. So I think the two things magnified each other. There is a huge zeitgeist of, you know, people buying comics and like a speculator run because like there weren't 8 million individual people who bought this comic. There was like maybe like 3 million people who bought it and then people bought like the foil stamped cover and the alternative cover and the fold-out cover. And there was this thought that since X-Men number one from 1964 was like selling for thousands, that this X-Men number one would as well. But if everyone bought it, it just wasn't worth that much. I think that the show and the comic as a miniature like phenomenon uh, really symbiotically supported each other. I probably have at least five, if not ten, of those X-Men number one comic books you're talking about in my comic book collection in my parents' closet back home. It might be worth something someday, you know? My my dad's yeah. my dad's <laughs> enough mom, people throw theirs away. <laughs> dude, no, my dad's mom threw out the comics and my dad had them all. My dad had Doctor my dad had Fantastic Four number five, first Doctor Doom. My dad had X Men number one. My dad had Journey into Mystery. He had it all and he went to college. And what happened to him is what happened to a lot of people, which is my mom went into the closet and threw them out if not before college. It's just what happened to everyone. It could happen to you, man. Well, obviously, you throw out things that aren't worth anything. And it makes the resulting pool of them more valuable. So hold on to those comics, man. About 7,800,000 people are going to need to throw their comic books away before these comic books start gaining any real value. If there's a zombie apocalypse, they'll become like the new Bible of like our lost civilization when the aliens find us. Maybe. Maybe. That was a weird thing for me to say. Maybe we can move on to our to our next dangling thread before we start a zombie apocalypse talk. All right. How about tolerance? I think and I think this is also going to uh segue into your dangling thread as well, but I when I watch X-Men, I see that as tolerance, man. Like that's like helping people become tolerant because I it's really hard not to see those blatant connections that we talked about before about the mutant met, uh, metaphor. When you hear the different characters talking about how they're different and how people don't accept them, and I just feel like X-Men helps people become more tolerant. Yeah, that's completely one of my dangling threads because my question is how influential is this media and like we watched this show we're almost the same age when we were like eight and nine and like the thing is your parents and your family's values shape you but also the media choices you make and the values that are presented there shape you this is a super positive and inclusive show in terms of its message and its metaphor and so like how many like really morally rigid kids do you think saw this and were like yeah you shouldn't make, rip on someone for being different. You know, like that's a very positive impact for a Saturday morning show or for any creative venture, really. And so, like, I would be very interested to see on the flip side of that. I get sad sometimes when I see like people on Twitter or people in like popular media like ripping on the new round of Star Wars, is, for example, for having women and people of color or X-Men or Marvel for promoting like Miss Marvel Kamala Khan as like a Pakistani American or like, why is it going to be all about that stuff? And I'm like, dude, it's always been political and it's always been about being inclusive. But now more people of color are being shown outwardly and also more diverse creators are joining it. So like, didn't you like it when it was the X-Men? Like, didn't you get the subtext of what it was trying to say? So that frustrates me when people reject new or different identities coming in when X-Men has always been about trying to promote 
acceptance of differences amongst people. I agree. I think X-Men definitely shaped me. I mean, not to rip on my parents, but I am a lot more tolerant than my parents. It, and, my, and my parents have become more tolerant probably because of me being, you know, somewhat extreme about things as an adult and, and kind of expecting, you know, maybe more than I should from them. But I would say X-Men definitely contributed to me learning tolerance that, that, that I wouldn't have picked up from my parents. Yeah, my dad told me one time we were doing like a long road trip and we were discussing someone that he knew and, you know, he was just talking about the moral choices that other person would make. And he was like, you know, I can trust my guy, Johnny, because I knew that we might disagree on like one thing, but I knew nine out of 10 times when it wasn't that thing, I could trust his morality and his judgment. And then he turned to me and he was like, and I know that like 11 out of 10 times I can trust your morality. And I hadn't necessarily thought of myself as like a moral person or as like an outwardly moral person, but it felt good that my dad said that. And I was like, maybe I am like a super moral person. And like, I just think back to like how explicit and implicit the morality of comic books was when I was growing up. And I was like, how much did I absorb that? Which is fine. You know, like I think maybe there's a generation of people who really, really sponged up the morality tales that is comic books because they are just pretty either intricate or not intricate morality tales. They all teach a lesson. I think X-Men maybe contributes to my love of philosophy as well. You know, I've never really made those connections before, but it probably played a part, if not a significant part. Are you good on that dangling thread? Yeah. I have a dangling. Yeah, I think so. Cool. I have a dangling thread, which was interesting. You mentioned watching the show as you got older, and I definitely did. And I so associate with your at your house fan versus like high school. Because, yeah, it's, it's a tough look. I wasn't popular in high school, so I should have just kept reading X-Men, but I yearned for popularity. It was a foolish venture. I remember getting older and noticing some things about X-Men, specifically Wolverine never using his claws on anything besides bad guys' guns. He was real good at, at cutting up blasters. And as I got older and as, you know, I think I did read some online stuff, or maybe I just heard the guys at the comic book store talking about standards and practices. This is where I found out about the censorship that young people cartoons and programming for kids goes through. So they couldn't show Wolverine ever cut anybody or hurt anybody outwardly. And they couldn't show guns that shot bullets. So every I just learned along the way that laser guns were okay and that Wolverine couldn't really bust out all the way. So... I thought as I continued watching and as I watched in the past that it's clever how they have Wolverine use his powers without actually cutting anyone. How about you, Jimbo? I never really connected those two things, but yeah, they, they develop his character well with his nonconformist behavior and his growling and his rough voice. And so, yeah, it works fine. I mean, everyone I knows that that's Wolverine. I want to go. Yeah. Exactly. So I think it works for, for the TV show. And if those were the standards and practices, it did marvels within those standards and practices. It did. I just very clearly remember Wolverine and Sabretooth's like showdown in the first season. Wolverine's claws are out and Sabretooth, like his action figure just had like clenched hands with sharp, even the nails were sharp on the action figure. And like the way that fight ended Sabretooth jumped at Wolverine. Wolverine like fell backwards and like used his legs to like kind of catapult Sabretooth past him into a bank of monitors. And at the time I was like, so cool. And I had my action figures do it because I was eight. 
years later watching it, I'm like, dude, like, use your claws, Wolverine. Pop those snickety snick claws. And so that's kind of when I started to be like, freaking standards and practices. Like, just let them fight. It's fine. I'm fine with the cartoon violence. But it, you're right. It's clever the way they get around it. I think we're good on Wolverine's claws. It looks like we have one more dangling thread. So what did you notice about the serialized television? So this was kind of like my introduction to serialized television. You know, you're a kid. You're not really watching the shows your parents were watching. I was eight. And your cartoons are very episodic. Like Bugs Bunny has an adventure where he's friends with Daffy Duck. And then after commercial break, he and Daffy Duck are going against each other trying to get Elmer Fudd to shoot the other guy. So it's very episodic. It's not connected. X-Men was very serialized. Like this pilot ends on a cliffhanger that, as we put in the show notes, doesn't get answered until the next week. So this show did a lot of really fun stuff in terms of bringing me back every single week to like know more of the, the mythology, like learn more about the characters to see where they go. And just like you said, it was a big deal to like miss an episode. And I think I pissed off my parents by not getting to the YMCA basketball games like 40 minutes early like they did like they wanted so that I could watch the X-Men episode and then leave and only be 10 minutes early. So my parents were really into getting places early and my Saturday morning TV habits were not helpful with that. What did you think about the serialized storytelling? Yeah, I agree. It's it's probably the first serialized show that I ever watched. Star Wars was kind of serialized as in the Empire Strikes Back ends on a on like a cliffhanger and where um Glee failed, X-Men did not. I mean, X-Men nailed the cliffhanger that episode the cliffhanger is, is perfect and even and even in the future episodes I, I definitely remember you know the to be continued and there's always some multiple storylines going on i mean they did a really good job of blending storylines and characters into you know the series and i the last time i watched it i do kind of remember season three kind of falling off a bit but there's some really great story arcs throughout the five seasons there are and beast is in jail for like the whole first season and like that's a major aspect of the story it's cool that it's kind of talked about it's in the background eventually magneto makes an appearance and beast is just artfully inserted as we go but that's post pilot so it's not fair sorry sorry to get post pilot guys so jimbo are you going to watch are you going to rewatch the show i'm not going to rewatch it in order necessarily, but if this show becomes more easily accessible, I would definitely rewatch this show. And if I ever find myself taking care of, you know, a young boy or even a young girl that's that's into action stuff, I would strongly recommend and maybe even watch this with a young person in the future. Yeah, this show I think would work for either gender for a young person, especially how prominent Jubilee is. Wolverine and Gambit get all the cool lines, but Jubilee and S Storm get some great lines too, though. Rogue too. Rogue's character is very cool. Rogue's character is very cool. I guess the only person who's not cool is Cyclops. Dick. Yeah, definitely. Unless you're, you know, a teacher. <laughs> I guess, man. I guess. I I'm Cyclops Monday through Friday. This is a qualified rewatch. Similar to you, if it were more easily streaming, um, there are some great Cable and Bishop time travel multi-episode arcs there's some really fun episodes like gambit's wife episode is very gambit centric nine-year-old drew thought that was great 
the Nightcrawler episode is great. Like I, the Nightcrawler episode came later. Like once you get into X-Men, they really cram the cameos in. I also very much wish that there was a super cut on YouTube of the Professor X and Magneto in the Savage Land, like season two runner. Like that's the last two minutes of like all 18 episodes. And so if someone put that all together, I would watch that. They have a nice little buddy comedy dynamic thing. Uh, any thoughts on that, Jimbo? True. If there's a supercut you want to see, then you're the one that has to make that supercut, man. Don't just talk about it. Be about it. Gandhi said I'm the supercut that I have to want to see in the world. Definitely. I agree. I think we can move on. This this is pretty strong rewatch. Not necessarily tomorrow, but in the future. So, Drew... This leads into our to hoist or not to hoist. What's it going to be, sir? Oh, my goodness. Um, this is a super solid not hoist. And Jimbo, when we eventually do our Patreon-backed ranking special, we're on Patreon. You could sponsor us. Okay, but when we do our Patreon-backed ranking special, I'm interested to see where X-Men ends up. I think it is a very interesting candidate for having a very strong pilot. I don't think either of us walked into our viewing thinking it was going to be a great pilot, but... Um, you know, again, storytelling, entertainment, and laying foundation, X-Men the Animated Series, Night of the Sentinels Part 1, delivers strongly in all three categories. Get your finger away from that sound effect button. Nowhere near it. This is a super not hoist. I agree with everything you just said. This is going to be a contender for top five. It's going to take a lot of pilots before, before X-Men the Animated Series gets bumped from my top five. Oh yeah, top five at least. I have a plan for ranking. We're going to steal from a much more established podcast. I was about to say better, but I don't want to talk poorly of us. We're a good podcast. I listen to that podcast. I don't think it's a better. I know you listened to it and you didn't like it, but we will discuss that. I mean, I listened to the 15 minutes. <laughs> oh, you didn't give it a chance, but fair. Okay. I gave it a chance. Disagree. Not hoisted by unanimous decision, X-Men, the animated series. Now, moving on to our Patardar. Yeah. I'm just going to very quickly just just say uh, Spider-Man, the, an the animated series, from my recollection. I know Drew doesn't agree, but I remember that show being good, similar quality of, of, an of animation. And I would say if you want a more mature superhero story uh, series, Netflix, Marvel, Daredevil, or Punisher would be excellent choices for an extremely violent and mature series within the Marvel Universe. Well, my issue with Spider-Man, the animated series, and go ahead and watch it if it's on your Petardar. You know, respect your Petardar. You know, keep it on those little blips, those little green things on the screen. That's your Petardar. I would say for kids. Petards. Okay, but I'm, I'm just saying that, like, the serialized nature of the X-Men show, which makes it a strength, is a weakness of Spider-Man's, in my opinion. But here's what's on my Petardar. Touche. Yes. Here's what's on my Petardar. There's this interesting podcast I started listening to called The Mutant Ages. A male and female host go episode by episode through the animated X-Men shows, starting with the TV movie slash non-pilot Pride of the X-Men. And they are into season two of the animated series, the pilot of which we just watched. The show is funny. The show is very in-depth. Like, they will talk about one episode for an hour and a half. It's very mature. There's a lot of mature language. And one of the hosts is gay and really likes to point out how the costumes and animation really, really highlight some unintentional homoerotic content that perhaps the creators didn't envision, but it's super there. Um, when you talked about Sabretooth's skin-tight outfit, they talk about some Sabretooth buns. 
and the way that Sabretooth and Wolverine fight because, you know, if you view it through a certain <laughs> lens, it is quite more erotic. It's pretty funny. They're on iTunes. They're on Twitter, at The Mutant Ages. I think it's funny. It's worth a listen. And another podcast that's X-Men related is more so the comic books than the than the show. And it's called Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men Podcast. It's been running for almost four years. They have a huge backlog. But these this uh, couple who used to be married, no longer married, go back to the very beginning. You should listen to it from the beginning. They chronologically go through X-Men, um, starting with the Silver Age, which they do in one episode, and then picking up when Chris Claremont, the definitive X-Men writer of like Dark Phoenix Saga and many other... Uh, really big X-Men stories, uh, Fall of the Mutants, Inferno, the biggies of the 80s. They go through that, and they've just now gotten to this time period, X-Men 92. So you could start listening from here, but they're a great podcast, a great online community, great website. T- check them out. Uh, Jay and Miles explain the X-Men. And if the Mutant Ages or Jay and Miles are listening, you guys owe us a plug for show. I know. We have 38 subscribers you two much more famous and more than two podcasts. So yeah, we'll, we're going to tweet at you once we get 20 followers and then you'll be forced to reckon with a podcast that is new. I got one more petardar and, and I'll give you a chance if you can keep it brief, talk about Batman, the animated series. I definitely remember that being a strong cartoon and I think it holds up well for adults as well. I think Batman, the animated series holds up in a different way that X-Men does. I think the Batman the Animated Series is much more art. I really like the style. I think that more attention is put towards creating a little bottle episode every episode, but they put so much character development into each one. There's very little foundation, I feel like, laid in Batman the Animated Series because the shows are so episodic. But the entertainment and the storytelling, just from one episode to another, is beyond impressive. I really like Batman the Animated Series. And some episodes, I can just call off the top of my head. Uh, Jimbo, your thoughts on Batman the Animated Series as an episodic versus a serialized show? I can't comment on that too much because because I, was, I don't recall. I haven't watched it since I was in high school. But I used to watch that show when I was in high school, reruns. It was not a cool show to watch if you were in high school. But I still watched it because I enjoyed it. So I could... Um agree with what you said without necessarily having specific details it also was the creation of harley quinn and she's a superstar now she has bigger better things so jimbo next week we are going to watch the pilot of the beloved coming of age story the wonder years and this was a pilot suggested by our subscriber Dwayne, who wrote our very first review show thanks for the pick Dwayne. remember if you write a review and if you dm us we will very seriously take your idea, your TV show into consideration, most likely watch it to encourage other people to review us. This pilot is supposed to be an all-time great pilot for a classic show. Um, it's just now being released to streaming services because this show had so much cool classic music that there were licensing issues. I, I want to see if it lives up to the hype. Jimbo, any, any remembrances of The Wonder Years? I'm going to mostly save it for next year. I do remember the show. I do remember enjoying it. I wasn't a faithful listener but or watcher, but I definitely watched it and liked that show as a kid. And that's and that's all I'm going to say for now. All right. Well, uh, Jimbo, you want to you wanna start that music and some shop talk? Viewers, if you haven't noticed from the music, 
the show's officially over, but if you love us as much as we love us, we're going to be around for a few more minutes. And uh, we have reviews, so thank you for sending these reviews. So first review is by uh, Connor Man one two one two one two on December eighteenth, titled "A Must Listen for Any TV Junkie." Five stars. You guys are spot on! Exclamation point. Thank you, Connor Man. Um, appreciate the feedback. We have another review uh, by Rigo seven two three eight four. A day later, December 19th, 2017. Four-star review. Our first four-star review. That's good. Still good. 80%. It's called I Might Be a Television Addict. Dot, dot, dot. Ellipses. Says, great job, guys. The podcast is like hashing out the details of your favorite show with your friends. I love the concept and weirdly the vocabulary. One distracting thing is the sound quality. Is Jimbo calling in on a phone or something? Overall awesome. Keep it up. Uh, and those are our two reviews. So either of those people DM us what show you'd like for us to, uh, petard or not petard or, or hoist or not hoist. Sorry. I, what was I thinking? Wow. You just messed up the vocab on that. Yeah. You know, and, and I hope you appreciate the little cubby that I build each week. I'm sitting in a little corner of a room with sleeping bags and sheets and blankets tacked to the wall. And hopefully you appreciate the sound a lot better than than what it was previously and i'm working on it thank you for the feedback yep and i i have stolen my wife's nice computer so i am i'm doing this in in the uh, basement in a little fake office where my exercise bike is and so i think my wife's computer just really makes up for any deficiencies in my recording area but if i think the fact that you're in a basement has to help I, yeah, I bet you're right. The cool earth protects me and makes me feel comfortable in sharing my opinions. It's like a womb. Yeah, so I think um, I think shop talk, the shop talk will be a little a little brief tonight. Do you have Do you have anything you want to throw in? We're at a, an hour and in twelve minutes, and I'd say that's a pretty quality hour and twelve minutes. I wouldn't be surprised. X Men: The Animated Series. Congratulations. The 20-minute TV show just broke the 60-minute mark by, I would guess, a nice chunk. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at our recording bars. There's there's a lot of valleys for Jimbo and a lot of high mountainous mountains for Drew. So I don't think I'm doing anything to stop people from casting me as the talkative and chatty co hoister no, definitely not. You are you are re- I thought it was a great room. episode. I really it really enjoyed. was a great episode. I was episode. looking forward to us talking. Yeah, we could actually we could I thought we, talked we about could even cool talk stuff. a lot more about this show. I mean, there was there was things that that we didn't we even could. touch. Why don't you edit down some of the mutant metaphor stuff? Because like okay. we're at one twelve. Yeah, we. I think you could really twice. edit down the low points. Because why don't you edit point. out the. Why don't you keep one and edit out the other? I think the second one was better. Okay. You could edit down the first one, in my opinion. Dude, you know what I heard about Last Jedi? It sucked. Well, no, I had not heard that because I liked it. But, <laughs> um, you know, did you read about the ports? Their background? I'm done with that. I'm, I'm, I'm over The Last Jedi, man. It might be. It's That was the last Star Wars in my world, possibly. 
lame, dude. Um, no, so apparently puffins were all over that island where they were filming. So instead of, you know, digitally editing them out, it was easier to just make them into forks, which I think is cool. Oh, cool nice. Origin. That's cool. Yeah, that, that's a lot cooler than, um, you know, they thought it'd be funny or cute. I still think it's a huge two hour and 20 minute inside joke, like middle finger to the fanboys on the internet. Because they were all like, don't make them Ewoks, Jar Jar. And then they were just a funny addition that I thought was cute and that took away nothing. Well, that's that's cool. If that's the case, then then I think that would be funny. And I'm going to say, listeners, if any of you are still out there, I know you know what's coming. You owe us a review. If you've been listening for this long, we've been entertaining you a lot. The least you can do is get on your keypad, put in iTunes, find us on iTunes, Pilots and Petards, and leave us a review, an honest review. That's all we ask for. And... If you want to continue any of these conversations, if you want to argue with Drew about, you know, the mutant metaphor being negative or about the hostile SWAT team, go on to our website, pilotsandpetards.com, and leave us some comments. I will respond. I will argue with you. You know, Drew may or may not. And search us on these other medias that Drew's going to plug real quick before I sign out. Yeah, so you can find us in a couple different places. Um... Twitter is Pilots and Petards. Just search us. Uh, Instagram, same. Facebook, we have a page. We'd love for you, or we have a group. We'd love for you to join our group, make suggestions there. Um, let's see. We got our website, which Jimbo maintains. Apparently, Jimbo is making a subsection for words that I use that people don't get. It's fine. You know, I'm, I am, I am here to push the conversation forward, so I'm fine with that. Uh, and in addition. I actually didn't get any of those words yet. Maybe on a, you know, maybe when I listen again, I actually didn't. I think that section might be blank this week. Okay, that's fine. You know, and that's good. Eventually, there'll be no section because, well, I don't. I'm, I'm not like reading the sources and finding new words. I'm just speaking my voice and my truth. So, hey, you know, we didn't learn good English out in Eagle Point, Oregon, Drew. Okay. Fair. It's fair, you know. I mean, uh, we'll we'll talk. We'll get your Oregonians to write their podcast reviews in Microsoft Word first before they put it into iTunes to take care of those typos. Definitely. Oh, it's am I being mean? Am I like? I'm, am I disenfranchising you're Oregonians? You're definitely being mean. Oh Shit. yeah, you're you're showing you're showing, you know, your elitism, your American exceptionalism is is glaring pretty hard right now. Is my East Coast bias. Oh yeah, man. I feel like I'm. Oh, and viewers, in case Coast you didn't Coast pick Coast up on the if if you skipped the first part when Drew was you know talking too much, um, Drew is from North Carolina, so he's not he's not that elite. He's not Virginian or anything like that. Don't don't you hear my accent? Yeah, this is some decent shop talk. This is a long one, um, but you know, I thought it was a nice conversation and. I bet you the people who like X-Men the Animated Series would not mind listening to an hour and five minutes of it instead of 45 minutes, you know? No, definitely not. Alright, man, I'm good. Jimbo out. Every day we hoistling. Oh, man, every day we hoistling. Drew out.